10-5, touchdown, Arkansas State. Culver is safe. The Red Wolves have walked it off. Almir, coast to coast, lays it home with the right hand, and he's fouled. Welcome to the Second to None Podcast, the A-State Podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Now, here's a couple of guys who know the Red Wolves like no one else, Matt Stoltz and Brad Bobo. And we welcome you once again to the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. This is episode 10, by the way, so we've actually made double digits hmm. on this thing. That's cool. Congratulations. That's right. We're double digit guys. So we've got a lot to talk about. We're going to preview the big game Thursday night against Coastal Carolina, short week for the football team. But, you know, we'll start off like we always do, and that's looking back at this past week for A-State football. It was the conference opener, Red Wolves traveling to Georgia Southern to take on the Eagles, and this is the first game that Georgia Southern has played since Chad Lunsford was unexpectedly fired the previous Sunday. So you really never know what to expect from a team after something like that happens. You know what? And it, I didn't think about it at the time. Matter of fact, it was Sunday or maybe even today on Monday as we sit here that it it registered to me. That, because the, the Lunsford thing on the outside looking in was a surprise. And I think it could possibly be one of those deals where if the, if the people there, the power brokers at Georgia Southern, the AD, whoever's wanting to make that move, if they decided that was the move they wanted to make, they probably wanted to hurry up and make it before the schedule tilted in their favor. Because they, you know, they'd played a pretty tough schedule. They played some good teams. Uh, you know, they played the Cajuns to a one possession game. You're an eight point ball game right before the day before they canned him. So I, my guess is that that was a move that the people that can get stuff like that done wanted to make. So they wanted to hurry up and make it before that number got more than one in the win column. It was a hot day in Statesboro. It was 85 degrees, so a nice day to play. But the game started off, and automatically, I I was kind of having flashbacks to the last time we were in Statesboro back in 2018. It was a game where A-State outgained Georgia Southern by, uh, I think, a couple of hundred yards, but they just weren't finishing drives, especially early in the ball game. And A-State drove it down the field, got in the red zone on that opening possession, but they got pushed back. They ended up having to settle for a 37-yard field goal attempt, one that they missed. So you come out empty, and it was kind of reminiscent of, of that game three years ago. And then Georgia Southern gets it, and on their opening drive, it looked like three and out. Georgia Southern's going to have to kick from inside their own 30, and instead their interim head coach, Kevin Whitley, making his first big decision, decides to go for it on fourth and one from his own 29. And I will tell you, and and you and I sat there and, and looked at the video, I don't know how many times afterwards, watching it live, I didn't think it was close to being a first down. And Yeah, you did not. And, and I would just leave, and, and I'm going to, lean on you a little bit on that because I was kind of on the opposite end of the field from it a little bit, kind of out in front of that play. I know, but I'm able to hear you guys. And then we did go back and watch it on the TV broadcast. So the TV announcers had even made the comment and Georgia Southern's pushed back. And they were kind of surprised to see him go run another play. I can tell you the entire Arkansas State offense 
was halfway onto the field. And probably, if you look back on the other side, so was the Georgia Southern defense. I don't think anybody thought they got it besides the one guy that said they got it. The entire crowd at Paulson Stadium was silent. There was no cheering. Nobody in that crowd thought they had made the 30-yard line. And the only people in the stadium that I think thought they made it were the linesmen. And (laughs) they pick up the first down, and then you know a few plays later, they're into the end zone, and you know, Georgia Southern takes the lead. You know, the Red Wolves were able to to come back. They got a field goal on their next drive. But again, that was after they got in the red zone. So two red zone opportunities and you come out with just the three points. Georgia Southern ends up going on top 10 to three. We come back, get a two yard touchdown pass to Corey Rucker to tie it up at 10. Georgia Southern takes the lead again and kind of a, a strange play. You know, Georgia Southern's up 17 to 10, and the defense does a good job making Georgia Southern punt out of their own end zone. And the punter, Anthony Beck, punts it into the back of one of the linemen and through the end zone. Yeah, I've never seen it uh, like that, where he just plowed, yeah, hit a guy right in the middle of the back. And we were talking about, I wonder what that felt to that guy. If you got no clue that's coming, and all of a sudden you get a thud right in the hope it hit him in the pads and the way it shot off in the air and out of the back of the end zone i'm i'm hopeful and confident it did hit him in the pads well it it was actually their big nose tackle who we had talked about all week leading up to the game cj wright and he was in there on the punt coverage team so it hit him in the back i will go back to the to the spot just a second because you wait look at the way this game ended up was it 59 33 look at all the really huge offensive numbers they end up getting and you can say that call in the grand scheme of things wasn't a big deal. But who knows? I mean, there's no way in the world to change the outcome of the game. But here's what changed. Not only did it, would it have taken what turned out to be their first explosive play and touchdown off the board, but it would have given the A-State defense the confidence of making a fourth down stop on its first try of the day. Yeah. And it would have given the offense a short field. It would have been a – it could have easily – been a different sort of game if you get that call on fourth down it would have felt completely different out of the gate and i'm with you georgia southern maybe they still win the yeah. game but at least at that point in the game it feels completely different yeah because georgia southern was able to get a whole lot of confidence after that they like you said scored on a explosive play and they were able to score the first points of the game now after the safety at 17 to 12 the red wolves on their next possession they drive down beautiful corner route you see james blackman hook up with Corey rucker for the second time of the day playing motions out of the backfield blackman going deep right side this ball is caught touchdown Corey rucker and the red wolves take their first lead of the day with 438 remaining in the second quarter you know at that point the red wolves are leading the game they're up 19 to 17 with 438 remaining in the second quarter and then all of a sudden you're having flashbacks to the week before with the way the second quarter ended yep i mean last you know five or so minutes of the second quarter huge in tulsa just as huge in this ball game here as it's part of a stretch where the end of the first half and into the third quarter, you know, Georgia Southern rattles off 35 unanswered. And you're going back thinking, I could have sworn we were ahead in this game just a few minutes ago, not all that long. And now all of a sudden it's gotten away from you. Yeah. And uh, again, 35 straight points 
Georgia Southern's up 31-19 at the half. They're up 45-19 after three quarters. Early in the fourth quarter, the Red Wolves take a, a little bit of a run after getting down 52-19. to Lane Hatcher came in at quarterback, able to get a touchdown pass to Dahu Green, and then Lincoln Perry scores to make it 52-33. And look, A-State still had a little bit of a pulse. Hatcher dumps it off left side to Perry. Inside the 10-5, Lincoln Perry is into the end zone for the score. Touchdown, Arkansas State with 9-13 remaining. Here in the fourth. And then you kick the onside, which, by the way, and I was told by Butch Jones that that was supposed to be more of a sky kick. You noticed it was kind of a, a low-line drive that Georgia Southern kind of reached up and, and caught. Their hands team made a good play there, but it was supposed to go over the hands team and just turn into a race after that. And unfortunately, that's not what happened. Georgia Southern just was able to make the catch and then they score on the very next Cause, play because they had gone and even on the kickoff before that they did it too and expecting they state might onside it you know, they were 10 guys up front and only the return guy behind them so i mean essentially if you you know if you can kick it over that first line guys it is just a foot race to it so i can believe that was kind of what you're what they're after but yeah then, then yeah a one play drive again gotta lead the country in those and uh, again, it, it just came back to the explosive plays, you know, turnover margin. Anytime you go minus four in turnover margin, you're not going to have much of a chance to win the game. That's what happened the other day with the four interceptions. But it was the second straight week of six sacks allowed. And I remember Butch Jones said after the Tulsa game that they counted 19 times that James Blackman was hit. And when we sat down to do the TV show on Sunday, he said it had to be over 20 yeah. in the Georgia Southern well, game. He's, I, I think it's fair to say he surprised us with that 19 number coming out of Tulsa. Whatever number he comes up with here, I, I'm going to go, okay, I believe that. If he said it was 29, I'd go, yeah, well, I could buy that because it – just every time you looked up, James was either he had somebody hitting him or he was running away, and I mean, just he, he uh, didn't have a chance. No, he had no chance. And uh, so I'd be interested to see how many times they had him charted as getting knocked down because he just had no time to operate. Now, one thing we haven't talked a lot about is just where this offensive line is at, and. Look, Justin Dutton played week one. He has not been right since then, hasn't been able to play at that right guard position. And then Robert Holmes is somebody who was a transfer from Austin P. He started his career at UConn. He had been starting at right tackle the first few weeks, but he wasn't able to play at Tulsa because of a back issue that he had really been kind of playing through since week one. But when Coach Jones sat down next to me, to do the radio show live with the Red Wolves this past Wednesday night. He said, we lost Robert Holmes for the season today. He had broken his fibula. And and one thing we don't talk about, too, and I know we mentioned it in passing late in the game Saturday night, but Holmes' injury finishes off a deal where you now have neither of the tackles that you went through basically all of fall camp with. Yeah. I mean, we, there, was a, there was a unit out there that, was, that got the bulk of of the first team work during 
fall camp. And even if that wasn't, that five might not have, wasn't going to be the starting lineup in the opener. That was the five that got almost all the first team reps and you're down both of the tackles from that group. Yeah. And uh, you had a young man named Nick Lewis that was in a big six ten kid that was in the entire preseason camp. And the week before the season, he decides that he's going to transfer. So it's a completely different looking offensive line and then you deal with guys like Dutton and now Holmes out and plug in a couple of different guys at right guard Christian Haas and Ernie Ramirez have both started at that position and Wyatt Lubke has now started the last two weeks at right tackle now if you're looking for a bright spot with the offensive line and coach Jones actually told us late in the week uh, when we sat down to record pregame on Thursday told me and Philip Butterfield, he said, look, at some point, we're probably going to make the move, bringing Jacob Still in at center and then moving Ethan Miner over to guard. He said, and this was Thursday's conversation, this week is not the week to do it. But with six more sacks and all the punishment that James Blackman was taking in that game Saturday, they had to make that move a little bit early because we had talked about that, you know, in our in our conversations on this road trip, knowing that he this was a move they wanted to make, and when he said this is not the week to do it, well, by default it turned. If Georgia Southern wasn't the week to do it, then Coastal probably wasn't going to be the week to do it either because it's a short week, another you know another big time challenge. So you were looking at probably that open week with that two week gap to the game against Lafayette. So. In some ways, did things have to get pretty disastrous for him to go to that that move? Yes. Is it going to be better off in the long run that they went to that move quicker? We'll see. The early returns are, would say probably. There were no sacks after they made those changes on the offensive line. It was much improved from what we saw earlier in the game. And worth noting because I had people that – that probably thought otherwise given the situation in the game it's not like when they brought in still and moved minor to guard and moved ivory scott to the other side at guard it wasn't like that they quit giving up sacks because georgia southern had emptied the bench georgia southern didn't empty the bench yeah they kept playing their dudes and and that's okay credit to jacob still he knew the situation he was walking back into this year he loves being at Arkansas State. He loves playing football. This is a young man who has made 46 career starts, but he knew that Ethan Miner was going to be the starter at center this year. He still wanted to be a part of it. And now we're in a situation where you can plug Jacob in at center. Ethan Miner, again, moves over to left guard. You move Ivory Scott from left guard to right guard. And it just seemed like it worked in that second half the other day. So hopefully that's an adjustment that will continue to to kind of pay off. We'll see how they do this week against a really good front for Coastal Carolina. I will tell you, I think we made college football <laughs> broadcast history in the postgame on Saturday. I don't know if the backup center has ever been named a player of the game before, or in this case, a Halsey Thrasher Harpole performer of the game, but we gave it to Jacob still, just because of how different the line looked once he was inserted into the game. Yeah, and and I don't want to diminish what 
Lane Hatcher came in that game and did. He did exactly what you'd expect him to do. But he had better working conditions than James Blackman had. It really wasn't close either. And, you know, James, bless his heart. I mean, he he didn't have <laughs> he didn't have a chance most of the day. And it was good to see some progress as the game went along, but but you're right. It, it was a very, very different looking pocket for Lane than it was for James Blackman. In as much as it existed. Uh, again, uh, we'll talk about the big matchup this Thursday with Coastal Carolina as we continue along. We'll step aside. And uh, when we come back, we're going to tell you about the trip to Statesboro, Georgia, here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. The Simmons Bank Card Alerts app lets you get more from your Simmons debit and credit cards. Set transaction alerts to be notified of certain card activity and choose how you receive each alert. You can suspend your card, set a spend limit, or decline specific transaction types. You can even manage multiple cards. So get more control, more convenience, and more peace of mind with your Simmons Bank debit and credit cards. Learn more at SimmonsBank.com forward slash debit card. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. All right, so we've talked about the game, but it was the third straight week that we've been on the road three straight Saturday road games I think we've talked about it first time that's happened at a state since 2004 and I guess this is the third time that we've gone to Georgia Southern for football we did it in 17 did it again in 18 that 17 trip we did the same thing traveling we didn't stay in Savannah, we stayed in Augusta, which is an hour and a half away from Statesboro. So Statesboro, a little bit like Jonesboro in the fact that visiting teams only going to town just for the game. It's uh, what you consider a little bit hard to get to from the standpoint that you're going to drive, whether it's Savannah or Augusta, you're going to drive an hour or so to get into town. Very comparable to what visiting teams do when they come here. Most, If, you, if anybody that comes here that flies in, Stays in Memphis and only drives to Jonesboro for the game. This is the same setup when you're going to Georgia Southern. So we fly into Augusta, Georgia, and we did the exact same thing that we did in 2017. (laughs) That's right. We get the rental car. And it's cool to think about when when you land there, and we, we land at the FBO there in Augusta. So we walk into kind of the charter area where all the charter planes fly in, and we're thinking, hey, you know, there, there's a week in April every year where some pretty big names kind of step through the spot. We pick up the rental car, and we might as well drive by Augusta National. When in Rome. And we'll tell you this. Not Georgia. Not Rome, Georgia. We were in a different part. We were, yes, driving to Augusta National, and we knew what was going to happen. We were going to drive around, and we were going to see different entrances that were blocked off. But it's still... I don't know. I I guess you like to be close to it. You like to see if maybe there's some way you can sneak a peek. Well, we'd do it no matter what. But we show Philip Butterfield because he hadn't seen it or not. And the the big thing, and Jerry Scott's probably never even heard of the place, but we take him too. The, The big thing is that, like, as we say, if you don't know, you wouldn't know. This thing is really kind of in the middle of town, so to speak. A town that you wouldn't think by looking at it is home to one of the most exclusive and best golf courses in the world. 
And you'd have no way of knowing if you just didn't know Augusta National was there because you can drive almost all the way around that thing and never get an indicator. There's there's not like a big sign that says Augusta National Golf Club. There's nothing. There's really not. And even like the big entrance, you know, you see this beautiful entrance during Masters Week for Magnolia Lane. Well, I mean, there's just a big green wooden fence. There's no marker or anything for that. Your map on your phone, on your GPS, will tell you it's Magnolia Lane, and it's the only way you'd know. And I guess that's because if they put up a sign that said Magnolia Lane, they would cause a traffic jam of goofy people like us stopping and trying to get a picture of it. Because it's right down the main strip of town. So we did the same thing we did four years before. We drive up one of the entrances about as far as we can go Mm -hmm. and as soon as you see the security guard you know you have to turn around and (laughs) head back to the main road but that's what we did we can say something that we weren't able to before we did play golf in augusta georgia and it's here's what's nuts and i mean i'm I'm saying this about me we've we've come on here before and said we've kind of got this new tradition that if there's a a top golf in town we go there and in tulsa there wasn't top golf but there was golf suites so we went there it never crossed my mind to look and see if augusta georgia had top golf no and i think philip was the one that figured out they had a top golf and it, it surprised me i will tell you it's a different looking top golf than any that we've been to before, but I think it's my favorite. It, it's it's only got the one level. Yeah. There's not multiple levels where you can you can hit, but it's just really chill. There's actually kind of a miniature golf course right there. There's cornhole setups, a bunch of picnic tables. I mean, it, it was a really neat atmosphere. Yeah, it was unlike uh, unlike any we had seen, but yeah. Hadn't seen a top golf that was one level. Hadn't seen one that had a miniature golf course on it. And then, like I said, while we were waiting for a bay, I mean, it just you go out in this big turfed courtyard area, and there were cornhole games, and we so we play a game of cornhole and TVs everywhere. And I mean, it was yeah, un, really cool, really cool top golf there in Augusta. So that's what we did the night before, because the plan was going to be at least I don't I can't speak for everybody because I would have gone solo. What I assumed would happen was that I would end up going to see The Many Saints of Newark Friday night, the Sopranos movie, because it was the day it came out. Yeah, but Top Golf Yeah, it would is, trump that. That's is right. always going to trump that's right. that. So that's what we did. We had a good time. And then, you know, we get up Saturday morning, and we drive the hour and a half to Statesboro, Georgia. We get to the stadium, get set up. We really didn't know what kind of atmosphere they would have, you know, the week after they fired a coach. You made a comment in the fourth quarter that yeah, I agreed with. The atmosphere was actually really good on Saturday. And despite the, the tough start and Chad Lunsford getting fired the previous Sunday, I thought their fans kind of brought it the other day. And I never even saw what they called it. I never saw a statue. It was 16. I mean, but it, I, the I'm capacity is 25. If they put 16, I believe it. It was a, a good-looking crowd, a ton of students, and they were into the game. And then here's a team that's 1-3 and fired the coach. If they were looking for excuses to stay home, they had no shortage of them. And they turned out and yeah, provided a good atmosphere. I, I tip my hat to them. I, I really do. They do the same thing in Statesboro that they do 
at Auburn. They have an eagle. And, of course, at Auburn, it's the War Eagle, and it flies all the way around the stadium, and then there's the handler there on the field that it flies down to. And it's a neat event anytime you go to Auburn. But in this case, they, they do the same thing in Statesboro. One little minor difference uh, of note. At Georgia Southern, their freaking mascot's actually the Eagles. <laughs> That's true. I'll give them that. Now, what was kind of different about this Eagle flight right before kickoff was I-, I think there was an unexpected path that the Eagle took because it actually <laughs> went behind the stadium. Yeah. And I think there was a lot of people holding their breath, like, what's happening here? And even Philip. We're during a break at the time. He said, I don't think that's supposed to happen. And it flies around one of the end zones. Finally, after a few seconds of everybody holding their breath, it flies back into the stadium and there's this big eruption. So the Eagles are a big drama queen. I mean, yeah, it literally at one point left the stadium. And like you said, horseshoed around the the building where Arkansas State locker room was and, and came back in. And I just... I mean, I'm a sucker for bald eagles anyway. I love them. They're my favorites. And and it's funny because technically, you know, Green County Tech, my high school alma mater, really, they're the eagles, but they're not, they're the golden eagles. They're really, their mascot's not a bald eagle, but still yet, uh, I've, I've always had a thing for bald eagles, so it was cool to see him. And then the guy even the later in the game, the, the, the handler even had that eagle, he took him up to stands. And came down on the sideline by where we were, and some of our folks down there got a chance to even took a photo with the eagle and pet the eagle. And it was, uh, but I, it it was a cool scene for sure. Uh, I liked the atmosphere at the game. The eagle was cool. The one thing that was not cool was that freaking cannon, and they fired that thing off. And you reminded me they they have a cannon. But you never know just the second it's going to go off. And I swear it it made my heart jump every single time. And the first time it happened was As they run onto the field. within about you know three or four minutes of kickoff. I'm wrapping up the starting lineups, about to go to our final break. And I had to jump. I mean, it was it, – it's so loud. And my heart's beating out of my chest at that point. And – even said it, I said, I think I almost had a heart attack. And I continue finishing up the starting lineups and then go to break. But they fire that thing off after every touchdown, too. And it still. They, they tell you. They, it comes on the video Makes board you jump. And tells you they're going to fire it when Georgia Southern runs out of the field, when Georgia Southern scores a touchdown at the end of the game. Well, they did it. I was fearful no matter what. Even if Arkansas State won the game. I was fearful there's going to be a lot of cannon fodder. And there was, and you just unfortunately you didn't do our part in keeping up with the uh, with the fireworks. So all in all, it was an eventful trip. The Red Wolves now finally return home for the next two games, and you know a short week this week, and you take on the best team in the league. And I don't think there's much doubt that. Coastal Carolina is that right now. They're 15 ranked in the country. 15 in the country in, in both polls, the AP and the coaches poll. This is a team that's 16-1 and since the start of last season. They're 5-0 and this year. They're outscoring their opponents this year 241-70. to And in the second quarter of games, 
They've outscored their opponents 99-6, to and they just pummeled ULM this past week 59-6. to There's an awful, awful lot working against Arkansas State in this setup. Even beyond the just the records and the rank, I mean, even beyond that, Coastal Carolina's coming here. They've been at home the last two weeks. They've played UMass and ULM without its quarterback. So their starters have played a half each of the last two weeks, and they've sat at home doing it. There's not much going A-State's way in the buildup to this. A lot of stuff going Coastal's way. The one thing that could go Arkansas State's way is playing at home true and i mean let's that's, that's just let's go ahead and take this turn here <laughs> I, I don't expect the crowd to be very good i'm just going to tell you i would i love to come back here on monday and tell you i was wrong yes mm-hmm. we, we said the georgia southern crowd had excuses to stay home the arkansas state crowd has even more excuses than that to stay home not just the record. Sure didn't fire the coach. You got a first-year coach and a good one and a good first-year coaching staff, but that won't matter. Thursday night brings a list of excuses as long as you're armed. A lot of people will take one of those excuses. Again, we'd love to be wrong. Yeah. I'm just going off historically speaking. And it is a showcase, and I like the way Butch Jones phrases it. He says, you know, it's a Chamber of Commerce night. It's a chance for Jonesboro to take center stage on national TV. And the athletic department's doing everything they can. They they want it to look good on that east side of the stadium. $5 tickets, the entire east side of Centennial Bank Stadium. So hopefully we do get a big turnout, and it'd be great. To have a big student turnout on Thursday. Yeah, and, and Georgia Southern had that too. I always say when you got a TV game here, my hope is that the director doesn't feel like they've got to take really tight shots of everything. If everything is either on the field or even crowd shots are just locked in on four or five people, then you know that's – if you never get to see the wide shot, I mean, quite honestly, the crowd hadn't done its job. And that's what a lot of people don't like to hear is that – They've got a job in this deal. And if you listen to this podcast, chances are we're preaching to the choir. Because if you're taking the time to listen to this, then you're invested. And I've even got a bit of a love-hate relationship with fans that do all the belly aching and complaining. Because it drives me crazy. More Nine times out of ten, it's factually incorrect. Whatever they're, I mean, more often than not, whatever somebody's griping about being a stone cold fact isn't but on the flip side is you got to factor in at least if somebody's belly aching about it they still cared enough to belly ache that's true and I that's and that. that's the part that's the part i have to remind myself is at least they still care enough to gripe is it going well no is the schedule hard heck yes when did we know that the day the dang thing came out I'll go to my grave until somebody proves you wrong. Thinking this is the hardest schedule an A State team's ever played. I will tell you, I fully expect this A State team to get better as the season goes along. How's that going to be reflected in wins and losses? I don't know because the schedule's hard. But they're going to get better, and just being around this man, huh. the, the few months that that we've been around him, Butch Jones is going to get this thing right. I don't think there's any doubt about that. This is you and I talked about this the other night. This is a, this schedule is really good if you're really good. 
If you think you've got a team that's ready to go win a conference championship, then this schedule's great because the toughest teams on it come to your place. Yeah, you got the Cajuns, you got Coastal, App, all at home. So when you can, if you if you're up there with those guys at the moment, you knock those guys off, then you feel real confident. You can go on the road and beat the people left. When you flip it around, though, and you're not there yet, your talent level's not there yet, you're in year one with this staff, now all of a sudden it's doubly challenging because now you've got the toughest teams on it coming to your place that you're going to have to play great to beat even at home, and then all of a sudden these toss-up games with teams that are more even matchups, you've got to go on the road and beat them. So I mean, it's a, it makes it doubly challenging. Well, and, and I think you were probably the first one to bring up this point, but this is the highest-ranked team to ever come to Centennial Bank Stadium. They're ranked 15th this week. And look, I mean, they won the hearts of college football fans a season ago. They're representing the Sun Belt in a big way. Obviously, for the Red Wolves to be able to compete with them and play well on Thursday night would be fantastic. But their, their quarterback is phenomenal Grayson McCall was the freshman of the year and player of the year in the Sun Belt a season ago and by the way he's playing every bit as well this year he's leading the nation in pass efficiency completion percentage he's completing 80 percent of his passes on the year and he was 13 of 13 against ULM the other night Defense is fantastic. They're seventh in the country in scoring defense. They're holding opponents to 14 a game and and less than 300 yards per contest. And they've got one of the more likable head coaches around Mm -hmm. in Jamie Chadwell, a guy who we were able to visit with for a long time on media day and the the night before media day. Just uh, if you're not playing them this week, you you tend to kind of root for them a little bit because they've – turn this thing around and they've done it in a big hurry the only advantage arkansas state's got is playing at home so the question becomes are we going to just give that advantage away by taking our ball and going home not hey if you're listening to this you're some part of the state and you can't get loose on the thursday not talking to you like i understand like right there's you got a kid plays junior high football as a junior high cheerleader i'm not talking to you get it there's stuff going on had a kid. I, I personally have a kid's got a volleyball match Thursday night. You're still coming to the game. Yeah, I'll I be need, there. I need you. It's just people that I'm not going because they're not winning. Yes. Terry Benedict, last money in, first money out. That's the mindset you can't get there with. You can't build what we want to build on Terry Benedict's. I like that. You like that Ocean's 11, that, Ocean's 12, that, Ocean's 13? I right? know what you're doing. Last money in, first money out. Can't get there with that. Got to have stakeholders, and we do. Like Arkansas State's got a great, and, and this was what Terry Mahajer said a lot of times. It really, and he was spot on. Arkansas State's core fan base is as good as anywhere in the country. You just got to make it bigger. Yeah, and eventually you'd like to have that Ocean's thirty thousand at Centennial Bank Stadium. So come on in. More than welcome. We're going to take another break. Be back to wrap it up on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank right after this. The Simmons Bank Card Alerts app lets you get more from your Simmons debit and credit cards. Set transaction alerts to be notified of certain card activity and choose how you receive each alert. You can suspend your card, set a spend limit, or decline specific transaction types. You can even manage multiple cards. If your debit card is lost or stolen or you're opening a new account, you can immediately get a new card just by visiting your nearby Simmons branch. Learn more at SimmonsBank.com forward slash debit card. 
Simmons Bank. Member FDIC. Back once again here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. Another busy week, and not only with the football team, but with the soccer and volleyball teams as well. The A-State soccer team splitting their road trip over the weekend. They mm. won at Texas State Friday 3-1, to one, then lost in Lafayette Sunday by the final score of 2-1. to one. Yeah, I'm not sure what's up with that. I have to check into what went on down in Lafayette, but obviously, uh, you know, Red Bulls still right there where they want to be, still in control of their own destiny to win the league, I would imagine, because you, you beat South Alabama. So you had a, an opportunity you could afford to stub your toes somewhere. So they'll get back at it. Here's what's exciting about this soccer team. And we talk about how good they are because Sarah Sedoma and Megan McClure and these kids took their super senior year. You go back to that Texas State win. Two of those three goals came from true freshmen. Yeah. They're playing with those super seniors. So I mean, the next wave is already here. They're 6-4-1 and one overall now, 3-1 and one in conference play. And coming up this week, they'll be hosting ULM on Thursday. So before the football game, Thursday at 6.30, you've got a soccer match at home. Thursday afternoon at 1, and then they'll play at Little Rock Sunday night with that contest scheduled to start at 6. Yeah, I'm about to call up – I want to call up the uh... – the soccer standards here because going into the weekend and i'm not sure what happened with everybody else but going into last weekend okay so ulm got swept just so you know they they, they dropped the two conference matches over the weekend they were undefeated before that they're one of just a handful mm. of soccer teams in the country that were undefeated so they'll come in as we speak they're seven two and one one two and one in the league so yeah they, they're off to a good start and that'll be who is in here to take on a state thursday at one Volleyball, meanwhile, split their two matches at home over this past weekend. They fell in four to South Alabama Friday and then beat Troy in five sets on Saturday. Coach Strepo's team now 11-5 and five overall. They're 2-2 two and two in conference play, and they got a busy week coming up this week. In fact, uh, this podcast coming out on Tuesday, so tonight they'll be taking on Little Rock on the road, and then the road trip continues Friday in Lafayette. Sunday, they'll wrap it up Sunday morning at 11 a.m. at ULM. And still playing well. I I know they split those matches at home over the weekend, but playing well. Macy Putt went over the 1,000 career kill mark, so good luck to them out on the road this week. And once again, football team in action Thursday. Got the short week, and... We'll be on the air at 4.30, kickoff at 6.30. The game will be televised nationally on ESPNU, but big push for people to show up and hopefully have a, a good-sized crowd on Thursday night. Yeah, we'll be on the air at 4.30. One of we will be on the air at 3 for the oh, yeah. world's longest pregame show. Not really. 4.30 with the network There are people broadcast. that do a lot longer than that. But, yeah, we'll, we'll start at 3 over on uh, 95.3 and 96.9, the ticket. Uh, have simulcast coverage of the last hour and a half of that time up till six and yeah hopefully i just i don't know what else to say besides this team needs you right now i mean the last thing to do is when you spent three straight weeks on the road and things didn't go your way you come home and look at a bunch of empty stands i, I mean it's demoralizing if you want to make things worse on this team just stay home simple if you want to make things worse on this football team just stay home now does that Make up your rant. Yeah, for today, I mean, yeah. I mean, okay. and, and I just don't like the notion of 
I'm not coming because they're not winning. I'll show back up when things get good. That's the quickest way to make sure it takes longer for things to get good is I'll show up when they're good again. And largely that's from a lot of people that probably didn't show up until 2011 anyway. And look, it's the last chance to see A-State in action for a couple of weeks. They'll play this game Thursday night, but the bye week next week and then another Thursday night game on the 21st at home against the Cajuns when they come to town. So the price point is obviously not an issue. Like I said, $5 tickets available on the entire east side. Hopefully people take advantage of that. Maybe people that hadn't gotten to come to a game yet because uh, just those first two Saturdays didn't work out. Hopefully be a nice crowd, and I know the ones that are there will be in the game, that part. And it doesn't take a ton of people in that stadium to make a lot of noise. The way it's built and the way it sits down in that hole, I've watched a lot of games on those sidelines with a lot of different sizes of crowds. It doesn't take a huge crowd to make a lot of noise on that field. So hopefully the ones that come will be ready to impact the game, and I know that'll be the case. And, and hopefully that's a big number. I would love to come here and eat a lot of crow in this podcast next week. Or a lot of shine to clear. A lot of fancy rooster. Red Wolves, Chanticleers coming up Thursday night at 6.30. We'll be back to talk about it next week on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank.